welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be. Welcome back to the Dads with Daughters podcast, where we bring you guests to help you be active participants in your daughter's lives, raising them to be strong, independent women. I am ecstatic today to bring you a really fun guest. James Breakwell is with us. Uh, you may know that name. You may not. You might know is a Twitter feed, Exploding Unicorn. You can find him on explodingunicorn.com as well. He is a funny guy. And he's a father of four daughters and definitely has some things that we'll talk about there. But he's got a brand new book we're going to be talking about too called How to Be a Man whatever that means. James, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you so much for being here. I, it is good to be with kindred spirits, fellow dads of daughters. It, sometimes people look at me, they're like, you have four daughters. What is that? But here, that is normal. I am not an abnormality. I'm, I am home. You are not an abnormality, ab, abnormality because of the fact that, <laughs> hey, I just interviewed someone for another episode that has five daughters. Wow. So, that's impressive. So, hey, you only got four and I yeah. got two. So, you know, I'm, I guess I'm slacking. I always start the show with a few questions and I and I want to turn the clock back in time because I know you've okay. got you've got four daughters that range the gamut in age and I think you said your your oldest is 10. Mm-hmm. And I want to turn back the clock to the first moment, that first reaction, that first moment when you found out that you were going to be a dad to a daughter. Tell me about that. I was excited. So actually my wife and I our our grand life plan was we were going to have four kids. We were going to have four boys. That was that was our thinking. And yeah, so we found out we were having a girl. It's like, okay, that plan's out the window. But I wasn't too concerned. I figured, yeah, I'm a little, a little kid's a little kid. That'll be fine. It, it has been a blast every step of the way. But yeah, I definitely realized early on that I just didn't have any experience with that. All the, I, I'm one of seven kids, but all the, the closest siblings to me, you know, in age, when we were growing up, they were all boys. And I guess I just didn't realize uh, what it would be like to raise a daughter. But I think going in, nobody really realizes what it's like to raise a kid, boy or girl. And growing up with siblings is not the same thing at all. Even if you've got babies around all the time, if that's not your baby, if you're not the ultimate person responsible for uh, keeping them alive, it is a whole different ball game. So I, I think boy or girl, I think we're all going to into it a little bit blind. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with you there because I mean I've got two daughters myself. I was mm-hmm. an only child, so okay. going in and I, I'm I didn't know what to expect because I didn't <laughs> really grow up with young kids around me. Mm-hmm. Um, being an only kid in my my own family and and really my only cousins being older than me. Oh, um, you know, it was kind of a it was an interesting situation. You know, going in and, and blind because none of us really have a manual per se. I mean, there's lots yes. of books. <laughs> but th- there's no true manual that says, here's everything you need to know about being a dad. No, there's not. You know, you have to kind of learn as you go along. You got to connect with other dads. You got to you kind of take the punches where they land and, and kind of pick yourself up along the way. And I'm sure you felt that way, too. Yes. And I think it becomes much more pronounced the older they get. So early on, I'm not sure that there's a ton of difference in raising a little girl, a little, little boy. I mean, there, there were some differences that cropped up issues that I never even thought of. Like my wife would be, you know, we'd be getting the kids dressed up for some fancy church service or something or another. And she's like, you know, go get put the kids in leggings. And I I'd put them in tights and leggings and tights aren't the same thing. And there's like five or six other variations with words I can't even remember that to me, they're all synonyms. 
and they're not synonyms at all. These are distinct, different things. And my wife just looked at me like, how could you possibly not know that? Like, what? at what point in my life would have I have ever needed to know that? Why would this ever come up? But now, you know, I've got a 10-year-old now. We're right on the cusp of puberty. And I think that's where things start to split apart. And that's going to be a whole new experience with that. I think your kids are a little older than mine, correct? Yeah, they are. I've got a 16, almost 17. She'll be 17 in September and then a 13-year-old. So you are in the years that everybody's been warning me about. How has that been for you? You know, it's it's not been too bad. I mean, I think you you have to know where to tread and how to tread, if that makes sense. Yeah, you have to you have to tread lightly and you have to be able to just be there, be willing to listen and mm-hmm. understand that you know they're going to be going through things that you've never gone through. Yes. And you have to be willing to to hear that, listen to that and talk to them about things that you may not be comfortable about do. You know, my father-in-law had three girls and then a boy, so almost the same breakdown as me. And he keeps saying or implying that the teenage years were easy for him because when they got there, the tension was always with mom, the the daughters and mom, you know, they would go back and forth with that. And dad was the safe person. He was the good guy who could kind of swoop in and be the hero. I was like, hey. I'd be okay with that. I'll I'll play I'll play good cop for for a few years and you could be bad cop, but I'm not sure it's going to break down like that. My wife always said that she was a very easy teenager. My father-in-law has also said that might not necessarily be the case. So we've we've got some skewed and differing perspectives on what life was like for her. So I'm not quite sure what to expect from my own daughters. You know, the one thing that I think you have to be careful of is that by being that hero or being that that person that you are, you're coming in as the good cop is sometimes you get some resentment from the spouse or the partner in your life because they come back and say, I always am the bad cop. I'm, I'm always the bad person. You know, I always get, they don't like me because, because you're always the good guy. I'm like, I'm like, oh, sorry. You know, I'm not trying to be that way. Yeah. And I can, I can totally see how that would happen and build up some resentment. You got to switch back and forth. You know what? My, my wife and I now currently, now we don't have any teenagers at the moment, but we kind of have that dynamic naturally where if a situation happens and one parent comes down hard, the other parent is naturally a little lighter and we don't have the like one person who's always the heavy, it goes back and forth, usually by who's closest to the disaster area. First person on the scene, <laughs> not so happy. Second person, a little calmer reaction. And it goes back and forth. So we've had that balance so far, but you're, you're absolutely right. It'll be critical to maintain that in the future years as well. Now, you've had some pretty explosive, I'm going to say explosive, exploding <laughs> unicorn, but explosive growth over the years in regards to the platform that you have. And your kids have been a part of it all the way along. And that's and that's interesting as an influencer, too, because I know you have to have that balance in being able to incorporating your family as a part of what you do. But you also are maintaining anonymity, because for those of you that don't know, James Breakwell is not James's name. He uses a pseudonym for this. And maybe why don't you give us a little background on that, but then talk to me a little bit about how you've been able to incorporate your family into what you've built. But also now that your kids are getting older, where do those lines either intersect 
or start diverging. Okay. Yeah. So I started out with a pen name because I still had a day job when I was writing and I didn't want the boss to come down and say, you can't have two jobs. You got to pick one or the other. And as anybody who's ever written anything knows, you, there's not a lot of money in writing at the start. Sometimes there's not a lot of money in writing at the end either, but that's another story entirely. So I, I made sure to separate out those spheres so they could never say, well, you're using your position to do this or that. They're just totally separate things. And as I did that, I, I created pseudonyms for everybody else in my family as well. And for them, more so than for me, that was a safety thing. I know some people won't even put pictures of their kids online. And here I am telling stories about my children. And I decided that for me, the line was, I'll show pictures. That's fine. But I just don't want you to be able to Google who they are and find out where they go to school and all of that. So that's why we created the separate names. Now, I write jokes. I run a comedy account. And it's inspired by real life. And some of it happens exactly verbatim as, it, as it's written down. But a lot of it's inspired. My kids will do something crazy or silly. And it's like, okay, how do you condense that down to what used to be 140 characters or now it's 280? And it really capture the essence of it because most kid conversations aren't quick. You're not going to take a 20-minute conversation to make a good tweet. You got to you gotta edit a little bit. So for that, with my kids, now that they're older, they can see what I tweet. They can see what I post. I, I kind of tell them, you know, the way I portray us online, it's kind of one step removed from reality. There's a little bit of a buffer there. It's like a made-for-TV movie. Everything's just punched up a little bit, a little quicker, a little more concise to fit into that runtime. And so that way they can remember that what we're putting out to the public, well, it's based on us and has a lot of our essence in it. It's not us. You know, it's entertainment at the end of the day. And that kind of helps us to insulate us a little bit and give us that separation. Now my kids are getting old enough that they're trying to get social media accounts so they're old and they're not quite there yet. My oldest, my 10-year-old just got her first phone and with the way that things got passed down, my my eight-year-old got my wife's old phone. It's Wi-Fi only, but she can communicate with her friends now. And all of a sudden, they can make videos and... So now we've had to have those conversations about posting things uh, or se sending stuff out there. Because it's like, you know, so far I've been, you know, the one united voice for the family to portray us in a certain way. And now all of a sudden there's other images escaping it. Even just simple things like I had to say to my kids, when you're going to call somebody, let us know. Especially because when you call somebody now, it's not just a call. It's like a video call. So all of a sudden you're walking around the house, you know, minding your own business. And you're, you're, my daughter's broadcasting to like three of her friends. It's like, I, I need to know this kind of like, you know, it used to be you'd have a friend come over and visit your kids and you know, it's like, okay, we got to be on our best behavior. Let's pick up everybody wear clothes. And now all of a sudden you get surprised by that. It was like, okay, if you can video chat, but you got to tell us first, you know, we need to, we need to lay down some ground rules. We need to lay down some time. So, so that has been uh, an ongoing uh, conversation as they get into the, to the technology age. You know, I guess as your, I'm going to say your infamy has grown and your, and your family and your family and people have gotten to know your family through the humor that you put out there too. Talk to me about all of us as fathers have memorable experiences that we relate back to either individual children or our children as a whole. What would you say has been the most memorable experience that you've had thus far with your daughters? It's hard to to distill it down to just one, and it's kind of surprising when you go back. So recently I've been editing, or not editing, but sorting photos. So I take tons of pictures of my kids, more so than most parents. You know, everybody takes lots of pictures, but I also post about us. So I take even more to put on Instagram, and then to get a good picture of four little kids, you've got to take about a million pictures for one pose. So I mean, I had 10,000 pictures to sift through the other day. And as I went through it, it was kind of shocking how many of these precious moments 
moments I had found so important to preserve in the moment that I'd completely forgotten about. The, the human brain is finite. and You can't store all these things. It's like, surely my kids were never that small. Surely they were never that innocent looking. Uh, and you kind of filter out. You forget all of the things they were doing just off camera. But I think, uh, I don't know that I can distill it down to just one memory, but I one of the ones that comes back real strongly uh, was something that came about because of our influencer activities. So what there was a company that had us go and stay in a treehouse down in Georgia. And we went up there and it had a loft section for the kids and it was raining and the trees were swaying. It was just the coolest thing. And I thought, you know, this never would have happened if we wouldn't have put ourselves out there and kind of started telling our story to be out here in this treehouse as a family. We've had a few other times like that, just a little bit of extra travel. Now that doesn't happen so much these days anymore, but it did for a while. And I'm really grateful that what we've been doing, just because my writing is about the family that I've been able to, you know, incorporate everybody into those kind of experiences. No, it's great that I, I've had similar experiences where you've been able to take advantage of being an influencer, but also being able to bring your family along the way and having them experience things in different ways too. Now, as a father to daughter, sometimes fathers that I talk to with daughters they have fear, fear of raising daughters in society today. And I think some of that comes from the fact that they're not males. You know, we, we don't have the same experience. We didn't grow up as females, so we don't, we, we see things from the, that exterior point of view. As you look at your daughters today, as you see them growing up in society today, what would you say is your biggest fear in raising a daughter? I don't know if I can narrow that down to one either. I'll be real, real wishy-washy on all of this, but I guess I, I would look for a reference to that on my wife, that she doesn't necessarily go through life particularly afraid of anything. And I think she's passed that boldness and confidence onto my daughters that they are not afraid, perhaps not as afraid as they should be. Now, me personally, I guess my fear isn't necessarily so gender-based is just kind of for the fear for their safety overall in general, because little kids, they are reckless. They get out there and they just go. And I think we're so safety-minded today that we don't let kids take the risks even necessarily that we took when we were younger. You know, I used to, when I was their age, I'd ride my bikes huge distances and go over to my friend's house and wouldn't necessarily tell my parents where I was. And uh, kids today, uh, you know, that that's not something that happens anymore. We, we know exactly where they are. And if they leave the house, they're supervised or they're under some other adult supervision. The, the days of roaming the neighborhood as feral children are over. So I guess, yeah, my fear is is safety, even though arguably and statistically the, the world is the safest it's ever been for raising kids that I've still got this fear of, well, can I really let them out of my sight? And as they get older, uh, you know, that's going to be something I have to deal with because six years down the road, my daughter's going to be driving. I mean, there's no way she's going to be in my sight all the time. And I'm going to have to accept that, that she's her own person. She's out there and I just have to teach her how to stay safe and look out for those things that I look out for on her own because it'll all be up to her. It's not easy to watch your daughter drive away for the very first time by themselves after you've been working with them for at least a year and in trying to make sure that they're going to be safe as they go off and in that locus of control that you've held so dear and so close for so many years starts to fly off. I see, you know, only a few years off and my daughter will be headed to college. And I say to myself, holy crud, right? Are we ready for that? Are we Because she's saying, I'm going to go way away. I'm going to go and spread my wings and go to a college far away from here. And, and I hear you. It's definitely not something that I think you can do whatever you can to try to make them independent and make them resilient. But still, at the end of the day, 
there's still a there's still a feeling of of loss that you go through because you see the childhood disappearing as they get older and they become an adult they're becoming an adult you get to see that and there's joy in that too but there's still a sense of loss in the sense of wonder and creativity and and things that just the fun stuff that they say i mean you know, on Twitter, just the other day, you, you talked about your daughter, the fork in her hair and, and ketchup on the fork, right? Things like that, that would not typically happen with a teenager. But, yeah. <laughs> but, but, there, but there's fun stuff like that, that it's like, hey, you know, you, and you lose that along the way. Yeah, that sense of wonder is really a gift for more raising small children. They just look at the world so much differently than you do. And I, I imagine, I haven't been through the process yet, but I imagine as they get older, they start to look at the world more like you do, which is good and bad. And depending on how you've raised that worldview to be, but they, they become adults and then it's a whole different ballgame. I've been selfishly, uh, implanting in my kids' heads the idea that the greatest value that they can have is that they can value the closeness to family. Like, wouldn't it be great if you you guys got out you just lived in the same suburb like really close by we'd always just be a few minutes away when there's no reason to pick a college across the end of the country the topic of college comes up a lot surprisingly i mean i've got a 10 year old in the top college topic of college comes up i don't know if it's because all the standardized testing or all the pressure or what but we've had a lot of conversations about college and i think i've got her convinced that staying to a close college is good but again there's a lot of years between now and college and i have a feeling that's going to change yeah things definitely change along the way and you know you have to add and go with the ebb and flow and know that that is going to happen. And, you know, talking about ebb and flow, I mean, you've had a couple of books now and you've got a brand new one that's out too. And I got to read part of it, a very funny book that that lets you just kind of look at masculinity in a kind of a tongue-in-cheek different w- kind of way and and have some fun with it. But But this book is called How to Be a Man, Whatever That Means. First and foremost, Let's talk about the the title itself. How the heck did you come up with this title as you were coming up with the context for the book itself? Oh, we struggled with the title. It's weird. I can throw out 40, 50, 60,000 words without a problem to put together a book, but finding the right title, that's a challenge to pick those just few words that really make it work. And my editor and I bounce this back for forever. We had the how to be a man part and we couldn't figure out like, it doesn't seem quite right though, because it's not a, a how to guide. There's so much ambivalence here. There's so much mystery as people kind of try to start out, what does this even mean? And finally, my my agents, we were on this call, this conference call talking through the book. He's like, yeah, how to be a man, whatever that means. He just threw it out there. And we all just kind of sat there in stunned silence. We're like, how over the last year have none of us thought of that? And so that went on there. And then the subhead lessons in modern masculinity from a questionable source. If you've read any, as you said, if you've read the book, you're part of the book. So there's no more questionable source than me. I am far from an expert on this. I mean, you would not look at me walking down the street and say, there goes a man manly man. And I go, what, what even is a, ma- a manly man today? So I really, I, I, I struggle with that question. And I came at it in a funny way because we have all these conflicting messages on what does it even be, mean to be a man or to be a good man as opposed to being, you know, just anything else. And this book really gave me a chance to dive into that, to tell some personal stories, to tell these funny stories that I've been sitting on for all this time and to kind of look at what lessons did I learn and what lessons should I have learned from, you know, about manhood. As you look at the book itself, for someone that's never picked it up and I know that it's on sale coming up in June. So not many people have had had a chance to take a look at it yet. So for those that are thinking about grabbing a copy of this for themselves, what should they expect when they when they 
delve into this book? I think you should expect a lot of relatable experiences. Well, they're relatable and you see the underlying, you know, truth and humor in them. They're, they're also experiences that don't happen to everybody quite this way. I don't think people have uh, had a close encounter with the legal system over lawn gnomes uh, because something their friends did over a summer. You know, I don't think a lot of people have uh, some of the family stories about, you know, killer bulls and all things like that. So I, I'm coming at it just a little bit different angle. And for people who are, you know, familiar with my other work, it was a lot more more general, like here's what it's like to parent in the zombie apocalypse or parent doing as little as possible or parent in a world with time travel and aliens, just kind of silly, fun things. And this book is it's it's much more personal. Like these are the things that actually happen. This is where I went. And I don't think you made it to this chapter yet, but there's one chapter in there that's not a comedy chapter at all. I went into kind of one of the hardest periods of my life as a parent and kind of talked about what I came out the other side thinking and feeling. And uh, that's the most vulnerable I've ever been in writing. So it's it's a totally different side of me than my readers have seen before. I hope it's something that can really help people through some hard times because it is unfortunately an experience that, that does happen to a lot of people. Do you think that that's something that in the future you might want to do some more writing on? and more kind of less on the humor side? I think so. I think over time I'm going to branch out. Now, I don't know that I will specifically be talking about, you know, personal tragedies or all that. Thankfully, I don't think I have enough tragedies to fill up a whole book. But I, I do think that over time, disclosing more of the the other side of things w- would be good, the, the the kind of wider truth. Because on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, every place else, I mean, I'm, I'm a comedy writer and that's what I do. I, I, I go through my entire day and I find these moments that make me laugh that cheer me up and I and I share those with the world and no matter what crazy dark things are going on out there you can always come to my account and find the comedy but I've been writing these jokes every single day since 2012 and obviously not all of those days have been great days for me there have been a lot of really hard days in there too and I still you know suss out the humor no matter what's going on but I think there's so much else that happens there there's so many other things that parents go through that I think it is helpful to share that other stuff too to say hey it's not all laughs every day there are hard moments and we need to accept that and be together and support each other through that completely agree with you I think that it's not I commend you on being able to come up with the comedy every day because your readers have come to expect it and sometimes that's not going to be an easy thing to do and you've got to be consistent because people are expecting it and you have to be able to have those type of things to be able to share. But it's going to be interesting to see kind of how your fans really take to, especially that chapter. And you're right. I had not gotten to that chapter yet. As I said at the beginning, I got about halfway through mm-hmm. um, and I loved what I had read, but I hadn't gotten to that part yet. And I think that it allows for you to, to branch out and, and share some different aspects of being being a person outside of being a humorist per se as well. Now talking about the humor that you write, and, and I think that some people might even wonder about this is where does your humor come from? Outside of the everyday experiences, what made it that you said to yourself, I've just got these funny things that I want to share. I write the way I think, I guess is what it comes down to. These thoughts are constantly bouncing through my head, which is why it's easy for me to put them down in kind of this comedic way. I, I always, and I, I think I get my dry sense of humor from my dad and I get my outgoingness from my mom and those kind of two things came together. So when I discovered that I could write things and make people laugh, I was I was instantly hooked. And it didn't have to be a big audience either. It's, it's funny that when you start out, like it does not take much encouragement at all to just take 
something and run with it. I only, when I, when I decided I wanted to be a comedy writer, I was 16 and there were only two or three people who ever wrote, read anything I wrote. And they were just emails I sent to them casually at the end of a class. And I was like, okay, I can build my life around that. Sure. Why not? At the same time, as you go through this, you have to, you have to become much more inwardly motivated. You have to do it because you enjoy it, because you find it funny, because after a while you get to a point where you have so many people reading you that you can't necessarily always take their opinions into account. Like, you know, you want to be generally funny. You want to, you want to keep moving in the right direction, but at the same time, you can't be so fragile that one or two comments can still alter the course of your life because that's always going to be out there. No matter what it is, there's going to be something mean that comes through. And if you give that the power to wreck your day, you'll never be able to put your out there and produce content. So that's kind of the balancing act that, uh, that I walk. And I found that for myself, the way that I kind of cope with that is I know the negativities out there. I know the criticisms out there, but as long as I don't personally read it, it doesn't affect me at all. So I do social media a lot different than uh, a lot of people do. I'm kind of one way with it. Now people can message me or email me and I'll respond, but Overall, generally, when I send out a joke or when I post a picture, I usually don't look at the comments because I know that any validation I get from 100 positive comments is going to be totally wiped out by that one negative, angry comment. And I've just kind of accepted that's one of my weaknesses. And this is how I deal with it. That This is going to be kind of a one way platform. I will share. I will make the world a better place as best I can with comedy. But I've got to protect myself a little bit because I know I have the tendency to fixate on the negativity when it comes back at me. I don't think you're alone there. I think that a lot of influencers, a lot of people that have found some iota of success or fame, we'll say, with their name or their brand, definitely are, they have concerns with that as well. You know, and people have always said to me, I mean, and I don't have a huge following, but, but I, I mean, since I've been writing podcasting and such, mm -hmm. you know, people have always said to me, don't, don't look at the comments. <laughs> Don't look at the comments. Um, but then you feel bad because you're like, well, but people, you know, people are trying to talk to me. But then you mm -hmm. look at the comments, especially on YouTube. Yeah. If, you, if you're on YouTube, YouTube is is a lot of times really bad where you have what they say are trolls that like to go on and, and they say really negative things. And it can. It, I mean, if you take things really internally, it's hard. When you put something out there, you, you put your baby out there and you're like, oh, you know, I put my blood, sweat and tears into this joke. And people pan it. But then you have other hundred people that are like, oh, I love this. This is so funny. Blah, blah, blah. Right. But but then you get those one or two that are like, oh, you know, and, and and it just wrecks your day. And it does. And it, it, it's that, that, that balancing act it comes back to because the way I went viral in the first place is on Twitter. I figured out what people liked and what they didn't like. You, you're not going to make it anywhere if you don't build up an audience, if you can't write things that appeal to them. But at some point you have to you have to have enough faith in your own taste and abilities to say, you know what, this is something good. Good and I can put it out there and I know I'm producing this that's quality and I don't necessarily have to hang on every bit of feedback and adjust what I'm doing. And that's especially true with books because, you know, you, you spend a year writing this thing and then you spend another year promoting this thing and, and putting it out there. And then somebody's going to come back at you and they, you know, I, I never read the one star reviews, but they're always there. You can write the greatest book of all time and there's going to be some one star reviews. So I just have to realize, and you can't go back and you can't suddenly adjust based on what this one person says. The book is out there. The book is done. So you just have to make sure that when you're in there, 
you're doing the best job you possibly can, you know, to the best of your abilities, the best of your taste, and that it's something you can be proud of. And it's something you can be proud of a year from now or two years from now, 10 years from now. And I think I achieved that with the, with this book here, the Modern Masculinity book. The, I'm not saying it's a perfect book by any means, but I told stories that I've wanted to tell for a long time. And I told them in a way that I'm comfortable with, that I'm proud of, and that I think will help people. I think it'll help them laugh. I think it'll help them go through some tough times. And I can take a lot of pride in that, hopefully. Now, <laughs> and a few one-star reviews aren't going to pull me off of that. And a few five-star reviews aren't going to swell my head either. I've, I've got to just say, okay, this is a book I'm proud of because I worked on it and I know what I put into it. It's not a book that I'm proud of because of what other people are going to say about it. Now, you've got this book coming out. You've had books in the past. Now, do you have other books that are already in the plans for the future? Yes, uh, I've uh, pivoted again. So this is my most personal book. And then my next one is probably my least personal book. I wrote uh, one that's entirely fiction. It's a science fiction book set in the distant future with kids and swords and robots. And it was an absolute blast to write. I actually just I spent the last few days furiously editing it and sent it off for the next round of uh, edits as we move closer to publication. So that's going to come out, I believe, next spring or summer. It's called The Chosen 12. And I'd love long term to get into more of that. I've always been a big fan of science fiction. And I'm just so happy that because I've kind of built up this writing career, starting from very direct things of I'm a dad, I'm writing about dad things to now I'm a writer, I'm, I'm writing writer things. And I'm, I wrote an actual book of fiction. So that was kind of one thing on my bucket list. And I finally checked it off. So now you got to write your biography. <laughs> that's kind of what this how to be a man book is in a very kind of is, very, yeah. very disjointed and funny way but yeah it's, it's, it's got some biographical elements in there definitely but yeah uh and, and that's uh that's a tough thing to write too there are some people who make an entire career off writing biographies and you always wonder because they release their first one when they're like 25 it's like wait a minute <laughs> and i'm 35 i like I've, i'd like to think i've got a lot of great things left to do uh but yeah that's uh we'll put that one down the road a little bit i think a bioepic later in life there you there go, you go. <laughs> well we always finish our interviews with what i like to call our fatherhood five where i ask you five questions that delve even deeper into you as a dad you ready yes let's let's do it in one word what is fatherhood fatherhood is Let's go with panic. I think that there's, it's not the emotion that's all the time, but there's, there's definitely when you realize you're entirely responsible for somebody there, there are those moments of fear. And as you become a better dad, you push through them. But yeah, definitely. I think panic is, is what starts. Now, when was the time that you felt like you finally succeeded at being a father to a daughter? I think I finally succeeded when I took my four daughters to a daddy-daughter dance, and they were just so excited to be there with me. And I can't dance at all. I'm dorky and awkward and all of that. And they were happy to be there with me, not because I'm cool and not because I'm funny, not because I have a big following on the internet. They were happy to be there with me because I was their dad, and that, that was really cool. If I was to ask your daughters, how would they describe you as a dad? So my six-year-old recently, she introduced me to our new neighbors as a YouTuber, which is probably the, the low point of my life. You know, I've, I've built up this... Uh, this huge following in the in writing mediums and my smallest following by far is on YouTube, but YouTube's the only one that matters to kids. It's the only one they have any frame of reference for. All their heroes are YouTubers. All kids today want to grow up to be YouTubers. So yeah, they think they think I'm a YouTuber and uh, it's a little strange for me, but that's where they're at. 
Well, you know, maybe you just need to get on TikTok and take that by storm, right? And and, and then you can just be really, really cool in their eyes. Like it's, it's one social media platform too far for this old man. I haven't been able to crack that nut either. Now, who inspires you to be a better dad? I think my wife inspires me to be a better dad. I see that. And I, and again, I, I come down to gender differences or just being different people, but I think she, she feels and experiences things in a different way and on a different level than I do. And so a lot of times when I'm going through something, I, I look at her and say, you know what, maybe, maybe I'm not looking at this the right way. Cause I, I, I tend to take more of a hands-off approach and then she'll come in with the more hands-on approach. I might take a more business-like approach or something. Then she comes in with the more, you know, feeling oriented approach. And I, so I, that definitely seeing the different aspects of that that she comes in with makes me want to be a better dad. And finally, what advice would you give to other dads? I would say don't give up because nobody knows what they're doing. Nobody at all. You can read a million parenting books and it's never going to, you know, solve all your problems. The other day, my eight-year-old wouldn't stop honking like a car. Like she just went around the house randomly honking for days. And there's no parenting manual about that. These situations just crop up and you and you deal with them. You cope. You deal with the honking. You deal with the the tantrums. You deal with the the ecstatic joy. You deal with it all. And, and no matter what, just remember the human race keeps going on nobody ever knows what they're doing but somehow the next generation grows up and has more kids and we're, we're all going to be just fine definitely is the case you know you never know what you're doing until they're flown and grown and that's definitely the, the case but you know there's glimpses along the way where you say i guess i'm doing things okay and when people give you compliments about how your kids are what they're doing in public or what they're doing when they're not around you and and hopefully what they're saying is what you want to hear yes. and not <laughs> and not the opposite but for the most part i know in my life that's always been the case you give them everything that you can along the way you you put them on the right path and they do tend to make the right choices yeah. so for the most part <laughs> yeah they add that caveat in there definitely <laughs> Now, if people want to find out more about the book, where should they go to find out more? Uh, you can go to my website, explodingunicorn.com. That's kind of the central hub that has all my social media and all my books linked to it. You can also find me on Twitter at Exploding Unicorn. I have a very popular newsletter where I talk about the book. I talk about all my ongoing stories. I basically I write the equivalent of two free comedy book books a year. I write about 2,000 words about my family every week, just the funniest stories that don't fit on Twitter. And you can get that to that through my website as well, explodingunicorn.com. And again, the book is How to Be a Man, whatever that means, Lessons in modern masculinity from a questionable source. And that's going to come out here at the start of June. And we'll put links in the notes today. So everybody has access to that and be able to find that for themselves. Uh, James, as always, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Glad to get reconnected after a few years of not seeing you. And, and you know, I wish you all the best as you move forward, not only in for this book launch, but also as you move into your fiction launch and everything else. Well, thank you so much. I had a blast being on here. If you've enjoyed today's episode of the Dads with Daughters podcast, we invite you to check out the Fatherhood Insider. The Fatherhood Insider is the essential resource for any dad that wants to be the best dad that he can be. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual, and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step -step roadmaps, and more. You will engage and learn with experts, but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org. If you are a father of a daughter and have not yet joined the Dads with Daughters Facebook community, there's a link in the notes today. 
Dads with Daughters is a program of Fathering Together. Find out more at fatheringtogether.org. We look forward to having you back for another great guest next week, all geared to helping you raise strong, empowered daughters and be the best dad that you can be. We're all in the same boat And it's full of tiny screaming passengers We spend the time We give the lessons We make the meals We buy them presents Bring your A-game Cause those kids are growing fast The time goes by just like a dynamite blast Calling astronauts and firemen Carpenters and muscle men Get out and be the world to them Be the best dad you can be Be the best dad you can be